Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark from 2011. unsuspecting city history's greatest experiment creates tomorrow's greatest superhero spider-man the movie a live action spectacular directed by joe zito based on the characters created by stan lee that was canon film's 1986 trailer for their spider-man movie if you don't remember that 80s version of spider-man don't worry it was never actually made marvel comics had optioned spider-man to canon in 1985 Cannon had agreed to pay $225,000 to Marvel for a five-year option period plus a percentage of revenues. The deal stated that if the film was not made by 1990, the rights would go back to Marvel. Initially, Tobe Hooper, best known for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist, was attached to direct. But there was a big problem. The higher-ups at Cannon, never actually having read the comics, misunderstood the character and wanted to make Spider-Man more of a man who turned into a spider with eight limbs and things of that nature. Spider-Man creator Stan Lee wasn't happy with the direction and pushed for a new screenplay. After several rewrites, Hooper was out as director and replaced by Joe Zito. In this deleted scene from Electric Boogaloo, the wild, untold story of Cannon Films, Here's writer Ted Newsom talking about the unproduced Spider-Man movie. They were in active pre-production for probably a year or more with Joe. And it came to a point where Cannon had also optioned the Superman character from the Salicons and Masters of the Universe from Mattel. As a result, because they didn't have all the money in the world, they cut down Spider-Man's budget from about $20 million, which is pretty healthy, down to about seven. And after having put a year, year and a half of his life in it, Joe Zito just threw up his hands. I can't make that picture for $7 million. After Zito left the project, Spider-Man continued to have even more rewrites, plus studio and director changes. At one point, James Cameron had even agreed to make his own version. Reportedly, it would not have been very family-friendly with lots of profanity and even a sex scene with Peter Parker and Mary Jane on the Brooklyn Bridge. Obviously, that film never happened either. But finally, in 1999, Marvel licensed Spider-Man rights to Columbia, a subsidiary of Sony. By the way, the history of all these deals is way more complicated with tons of legal battles, and I'm too dumb to totally understand, so these are the extremely oversimplified bullet points. But in the year 2000, the Spider-Man movie was officially, finally, in production. Spider-Man was released on April 29, 2002, starring Tobey Maguire, Willem Dafoe, and Kirsten Dunst, directed by the creator of the Evil Dead series, Sam Raimi. Groovy. The film was a huge success. It became the first film to hit $100 million in a single weekend, and at the time, the most successful movie ever based on a comic book. It reached an incredible worldwide box office gross of over $820 million and was the third highest grossing film of 2002. At the time of this recording, it is the 32nd highest grossing film of all time. You have a knack for getting in trouble. <laughs> you have a knack for saving my life. I think I have a superhero stalker. I was in the neighborhood. You are amazing. 
Some people don't think so. But you are. Nice to have a fan. Do I get to say thank you this time? Its success led to multiple sequels and an onslaught of superhero movies that are still going strong to this day. But it didn't stop at the usual films and merchandise. In August of 2002, Marvel announced that Tony Adams would be producing a Spider-Man stage musical. Tony Adams was a film producer known for his work with Blake Edwards on his Pink Panther films, and not only the film version of Victor Victoria, but also the 1995 Broadway adaptation. For the show's music, Adams didn't want to go the traditional Broadway route. He had something else in mind. Adams approached Bono and the Edge from U2 to do the music for the show. Here's Bono and the Edge with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes in 2010. I was told that the two of you wanted to do this with one condition in the beginning. Julie Tamer was the only condition. That's right. Why? Julie Tamer was definitely a magician. And I think that that's what you call a person who, even though they've put the rabbit in the hat is really surprised when it comes out. <laughs> That's her. Julie Taymor was named director of the Spider-Man musical. In 1997, her stage adaptation of The Lion King earned her a Tony Award for Best Director, the first woman ever to win that award. The Lion King has been seen by over 90 million people in 19 countries, making it the highest worldwide gross of any entertainment title in box office history. By October of 2005, it seemed like everything was in place. Bono had officially signed on. Julie Taymor had officially signed on. Tony Adams personally went to the Edge's apartment to have him sign the deal. While there, Edge walked away to get a pen, and when he came back in the room, he found Adams slumped over. Adams was dead from a stroke at age 52. Tony Adams' producing partner was an entertainment lawyer named David Garfinkel. Despite having very little producing experience, Garfinkel decided to move forward with the production, taking over as lead producer. Readings were held beginning in 2007, but production was delayed multiple times. The show's budget kept rising, and by 2009, the New York Post had reported the show was $25 million in debt, and work on the show was stopped. Bono then reached out to Canadian concert promoter Michael Cole to step in as producer. The musical was scheduled to open at the Foxwoods Theater on February 18, 2010, but was delayed to allow for more fundraising to be completed. By May of 2010, Cole had raised enough money to get the show running again. But by then, because of the delays, the show had already lost its two biggest names from the cast. Evan Rachel Wood had been set to play Mary Jane, and Alan Cumming as the Green Goblin. A new opening night was scheduled for December 21, 2010, The show's first preview was held on November 28, 2010, with an incredible amount of press coverage. Cast member Natalie Mendoza suffered a concussion during that performance when she was hit in the head by stage equipment, and this was after two stuntmen had badly injured themselves during rehearsals. And this led to more delays, and lawsuits. During the previews, Julie Taymor's story direction was also getting criticized for ignoring the Spider-Man comics and incorporating elements of Greek mythology. 
So then in April, more bad news hit. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is tangled in a web of production trouble. Beleaguered Broadway show is officially shut down performances for the next three weeks, while a new creative team launches a major overhaul of former director Julie Taymor's original vision. Julie Taymor had been fired, eventually replaced by Philip William McKinley, who had been the show's creative consultant and was a former circus director. Then, finally, after countless delays, financial problems, injuries, rewrites, and casting changes, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark officially opened on June 14, 2011. By this point, the show had broken the record for the longest preview in Broadway history, with 182 performances. The cast now consisted of Reeve Carney as Peter Parker and Spider-Man, Jennifer Damiano as Mary Jane Watson, T.V. Carpio as Arachne, and Patrick Page as Norman Osborn in The Green Goblin. Critics were mixed with their reviews of the opening, but they were at least more positive than they had been with the previews. June 14th was also the release date for the album. Music from Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was released on Interscope Records. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man! The album isn't referred to as a cast recording anywhere. People have taken to calling it a Broadway concept album. It features alternate arrangements that weren't in the Broadway show, and several songs were left off the album. Plus, Bono and the Edge even appear on a couple of the tracks. In fact, a single was released in May prior to the opening. Here's a taste of Rise Above One by Reeve Carney, featuring Bono and the Edge. In July, a music video was also released, and the single peaked at number 34 on the Billboard Adult Top 40 chart. Reeve Carney is also a guitarist and the leader of the band Carney on Interscope Records. Carney, the band, actually appeared on Good Morning America way back in September of 2010 to promote the musical, playing the song Boy Falls from the Sky. Here's a little bit of the album version. The rest of the band includes Reeve's brother Zane on guitar, Aidan Moore on bass, and John Epcar on drums, and they all played in the pit orchestra for the musical. The album's liner notes features a note from Bono and the Edge, reading, So this is kind of a sampler of what we've been up to with the music on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. There were 18 songs and 20 pieces of score to choose from, plus we've included some of our own demos for the fun of it. Julie Taymor and Glenn Berger were inspirations as we got underneath the characters in the play and tried to find an emotional life for them in our songs. Tease Goal and Kimberly Grigsby worked the music up on long days with the Carney Band, orchestra, and all the other singers and musicians, trying to keep the paint fresh on the canvas as we chopped and changed the material to fit the different story variations. The chance to work with David Campbell on the arrangements was one of the highlights of the project. A cool customer in a kitchen that could get pretty hot. We have learned so much from these artists, their commitment to realize the vision of this pop-up pop art opera. 
Bono and the Edge are featured again on Picture This, alongside Reeve Carney and Jennifer Damiano. The album was produced by Steve Lillywhite, who had worked with U2 on several of their albums. Lillywhite was also known for his work with the Dave Matthews Band, the Rolling Stones, and a favorite of mine, XTC. Stephen Thomas Earlwine of AllMusic.com gave the album a one-star review. A portion of his review reads, Relying on shop-worn tropes of modern Broadway and arena rock U2, the songs are overblown yet hidebound, constricted by narrative and reined in by the melody's attempts to soar to the rafters. This isn't even taking into account the silliness of the lyrics, an inevitability in the musicalization of Spider-Man, but always at its worst whenever the Green Goblin, Patrick Page, sings about his sinister plans. Pull the Trigger is Page's first appearance on the album. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, enhanced genetics, Spider-Man, superhuman kinetics, Spider-Man, muscle augmentation, and look at that, web biogeneration. This looks like my work. It's getting out. Your life's work. Your precious research. Getting sold. It is impossible. Isn't it? It's not. Or is it? Maybe it was Cassidy. Relied on loyalty. All your staff. Where did they go? And what did they do? Patrick Page even led a performance of A Freak Like Me Needs Company on The Late Show with David Letterman in July of Carpio is the daughter of popular Hong Kong singer Teresa Carpio and Chinese-American fashion designer Peter Mui. In 2007, TV Carpio had appeared in Julie Taymor's Beatles jukebox musical Across the Universe. She only stayed in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark until November of 2011. But here, she sings the album's closer, Turn Off the Dark. The album didn't fare much better than the show. It charted for just one week on the Billboard 200, reaching number 86 in July of 2011. The Broadway show had gotten a bit of a status as a punchline across America, but it's not easy to pull off a Broadway show. 75% of new Broadway shows fail to break even. With a budget of $75 million, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is the most expensive production in the history of Broadway. And by the time it was all said and done, six people had been injured in the cast. The show's last performance was on January 4th, 2014, 
The show didn't make back its $75 million, and it's estimated the show lost $60 million. Still, it wasn't a total failure. In 2012, the show was still nominated for two Tony Awards and even won two Outer Critics Circle Awards. At the end of the day, the show didn't seem to ultimately tarnish the reputation of U2 or Spider-Man. Time will tell if there'll ever be any other music from Spider-Man, but Turn Off the Dark was hardly the first time Spider-Man had appeared on an album. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Faxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. <laughs>